Greetings, ABC. My name is Sean, and we're so glad you guys are joining us this morning. Thank you guys for being here. Um, a couple announcements before we jump into today's message. Uh, we have a ministry fair that's going to be coming up in two weeks uh, here at the church. It's going to be between uh, the first and second service, and then after the second service, in the parking lot in between uh, the outside service and the courtyard and worship center here on campus. Every ministry is going to be represented from men's ministry to care ministry. Um, so we invite you guys to join us, plan to, to attend, and connect with some of the ministry leads in each of the areas. And find ways you can plug in from uh, from a uh, Bible study to uh, connecting on different levels with uh, women's ministry, uh, finding ways to lead and serve uh, here at the church. We want every member of ABC to be involved in some way. And so please mark your calendar for August 8th, Sunday, August 8th, uh, for the ministry here at ABC. Uh, as many of you guys know, Tom and Gail uh, Farrell are going to be wrapping up about 37 years of ministry here at ABC, and we're going to celebrate those uh, years of ministry here at church on August 29th. So mark your calendars uh, for two services. Tom's going to be delivering his final message here at ABC. Uh, we're honored and privileged to be able to share in that, and we invite you guys to do that with us as well. Uh, and then afterwards at 5 p.m., we're going to be hosting a barbecue at a ranch here in town. And it'll be a cool opportunity to celebrate, again, the 37 years uh, of ministry and impact Tom and Gail have had in the community and in this town and this area. So again, mark your calendars for August 29th and please join us. Uh, if you have any questions or if you more, more information, you can stop by the office or call and we'll be happy to share that with you. Uh, I'm really excited about this morning as we introduce our new discipleship pastor, Gerald Haugen, as we jump into today's message. You guys have a great morning. Good morning, ABC Church family. So glad that you joined us for worship this morning. Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. And as you do, let me ask you a question. We live in a world of uncertainty, don't we? We live in a world that's been gripped by the coronavirus and has left us wondering, what's going on? There's been no shortage of opinions on what we should be doing or how we should be responding to this virus. There's no shortage of opinions on even what we should be thinking about this. And as a result, some of us are in a season of transition and everything seems to be changing and it's just hard to know what to think. And even in the church, there's disagreement about what we should be thinking or how we should be responding to this whole thing. And that, if you're like me, can be quite a source of anxiety, quite a source of stress. So this morning, as we turn to Philippians chapter 4, we find that Paul has a thing or two to say about this very thing to the church that's in Philippi. We don't want to be anxious, but we just find ourselves there sometimes. Sometimes the circumstances of life sneak up behind us like a linebacker and just try to take us out. And we need to know how to respond in situations like that. Paul says that there is a certain pathway to peace that we can walk down, and if we will do that, he's promised that we will experience God's peace. Does your heart long to experience peace this morning? Let's lean in and listen to what Paul has to say to this church. Now, we know that this church has its unique set of problems, right? He has just reminded them that they are citizens of heaven living as ambassadors on earth. And we saw that Jake explained that to us a couple of weeks ago as he preached that passage to us. And last week, Tom taught us that this church also has a threat to its unity, where there are two sincere sisters in the Lord who are in significant disagreement. And as a result, church unity has been compromised. 
This passage is a familiar one. The one that we're about to read is a familiar one to many of you. And this can be really good, but it also can bring about its challenges. So my job this morning is to help each of us think rightly about this passage and to understand it so that we can obey its truths and receive the benefits and the blessings that are promised to us in them. So turn with me to Philippians 4, and as we begin to read this passage, we'll find three different things that Paul uh, has to unpack here for us. We'll see that there's a pathway to peace. We'll see that there is a promise of peace. And lastly, we'll see that there is a perspective that brings about peace. So before I read this passage for us, let me pause here and pray, and we'll see how the Lord wants to lead us through this. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the ways that you inspired it and inspired your servant Paul to write these words of encouragement and instruction to the church at Philippi. Thank you for the way your Holy Spirit has preserved these words over the thousands of years since they were written. Thank you that even as we read them today, your spirit can allow them to land on our hearts for what they really are, the very words of God. And we pray that you would do that work among us even now. We ask this, Lord Jesus, in your name, for your glory and for our good. Amen. So reading from Philippians 4, beginning at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when you're innocently walking your way down the road of life, and you find there that stress just smacks you in the face, what do you do? Well, according to Paul here, the first thing that we're supposed to do as we take a step down the pathway to peace is we're to rejoice. We find that in verse 4. In fact, it's so important that he repeats it twice in that same verse. So how does rejoicing contribute to our dealing with stress and the level of peace that we experience? Well, when our hearts rejoice in circumstances, we find that our minds tend toward anxiety. But when our hearts rejoice in the Lord, that's when our hearts tend toward peace. We must remember our ultimate reality. We are citizens of heaven who are living as ambassadors here on earth. Your eternity in Christ has been secured by Jesus, and he is coming back. He will take these broken down bodies, and he will turn them into the glorious body that is the similar to the one that he has now. Therefore, it's possible to rejoice in the face of stresses, knowing that our ultimate address, our eternal address, is secure and unshakable. And we do this as we fix our eyes on Jesus. So our job as Christians is to interpret our circumstances in light of who the Lord is, rather than the other way around. Often we allow our circumstances to have the loudest voice in our minds, and we tend to even wonder how good the Lord is in light of the circumstances that we have. And that's hard to do, isn't it? It's easy to reduce our life down to the circumstances that we live in day in and day out. 
And even in the midst of challenging circumstances, God calls us to rejoice. In fact, it's such an important step toward peace that he repeats it here in this verse. He says, again, I will say, rejoice. And this is in the midst of the context for this church of having disagreement. There are two women in disagreement and unity is threatened. And Paul says, let's rejoice. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. So if we long for peace, we need to learn to rejoice in the Lord, regardless of our circumstances. And for the Philippian church, they needed to rejoice even though these two key leaders in the church, these two women, had significant disagreement. Well, what is it for us? What is it for you? What circumstances are threatening your level of peace and causing you to spiral toward anxiety? Together with Paul, let's take that first step down the pathway to peace and let's rejoice. The second step down that pathway to peace is to be gentle. We see this in verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now I'm reading out of the ESV and that interprets that word as reasonableness, but you might be reading from a different translation and it might be using words like forbearance or moderation or maybe gentleness. I really do think that gentleness is, is the best translation for this word that is used here. In fact, when this Greek word is used everywhere else in the New Testament, almost always it's translated as gentleness. Listen to the way James uses it in chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. In the face of difficult circumstances, we are to rejoice. And that's hard to do. Just yesterday, Lisa and I were in our new home painting in the family room. And I was with the brush on the ladder cutting in where the, the wall meets the ceiling. And she was using the roller behind. And at one point she said, hey, would you like to change? Would you like to swap? And I said, mm, not really, why? And she said, well, you're slow. <laughs> and that, you know, made me feel the stress of, I'm holding this whole operation up because I'm slow. Now I am a perfectionist and I try to do really good work. And then I got to thinking, well, okay, so I'm slow, she can do better, pride kicks in, and now I'm starting to spiral toward anxiety. And what Paul has me to do here, if I'm going to walk down that road to peace, I need to be gentle with her. And that's not my default. I didn't feel like being gentle with her yesterday, but that is the pathway to peace. So what does it require? When we have somebody who is, according to us, being a source of stress for us, what does it require in order to be gentle with them? Well, it requires that same mindset that Paul exhorted us to have here out of chapter 2 in Philippians. We read that in verse 3. Don't do anything from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. If I'm going to be gentle to my wife in that circumstance, I need to have her ultimate interest in mind. She just wants the job done. She sees that we could swap roles and maybe get it done a little faster, a little better. 
So I needed to respond and to be gentle toward her. And when we walk through life, we are called to be gentle with all people. That's the way Paul phrased it here. So it's easy to be gentle with pe people we love. I love my wife. But it's not so easy to be gentle with people that we have significant disagreement with. And that's what we're called to do. Don't you wish that this rule ran the day for social media? I sure do. It just seems like we've lost the ability to be gentle with one another as we disagree. I wonder if that isn't why we live in a world that is toned, tends to be gripped by anxiety. Do we want to win the battle against stress? Do we want to win the battle for peace in our hearts, in our minds? The first step down that path is to rejoice. The second step down that path is to be gentle with everyone. So let me ask you this. Who might you need to be more gentle with as you walk down the pathway toward peace? Who are you in disagreement with? Or who is causing you stress? Who's making you respond in a way that is less than gentle? If you want to fight toward peace, according to what Paul is saying here, we need to be gentle with everyone. So I encourage you, just like I encourage myself, step back, take a breath, and what can we say next that would be gentle? Now, the third step down the pathway to peace is this. Don't stress. Well, how do we do that? You're on the road to stress. Just life circumstances are happening. And Paul says, don't stress. Don't be anxious about anything, is what he says in verse 6. And this is perhaps the hardest thing of all. Paul, what do you mean, don't stress? Can you imagine how the people of Philippi would have heard these words from him? They might say something like, Paul, you just commended Timothy to us because he is one who would be genuinely concerned for our welfare. Other translations of the Bible say it this way, like the Revised Standard Version. He will be genuinely anxious for your welfare. Well, isn't that a good thing? To really care about people and care about the things that people are going through to a level of anxiety? And Paul, you even confess to having anxiety as you explain to the Corinthian church all the things that you have suffered for Christ. As you unpacked and reminded them of your repeated lashings, your beatings with rods, your being stoned, being shipwrecked, being adrift on the sea for a night and a day. And then you conclude that passage by saying, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Well, that's a good kind of anxiety. The anxiety that he commends in Timothy, the anxiety that he has for all the churches, that's a healthy anxiety. It's a genuine concern. But there's a kind of anxiety that Paul is talking against here and commanding us not to have that leads toward an obsession. You and I both know full well what it feels like to bear the pressures of life, to have genuine concern for how things are going. And Paul says, there are some things in life that you just obsess about, and I don't want you to do that. You know, all those things that cause you to write those contingency plans or to cause you to just roll over in your mind over and over again where you obsess about them, 
don't do that. Don't fretfully construct these contingency plans as though everything depends on you. Don't worry as though you are the one who is in ultimate control. Jesus said as much in Matthew chapter 6. We pick that up in verse 25. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And the answer he's expecting is, of course you are. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, and they will be added unto you. So how do we seek the kingdom? How do we seek the Lord? We seek the king. We read his word. And we respond to him in prayer, which is exactly what we are supposed to do to combat anxiety. And that's the fourth step down the pathway to peace. We are to persevere in prayer. Listen again to verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul uses two words here as he talks about communication with the Lord. The first word is, is prayer. It's just a general word for communication with a deity. The second word is translated in the ESV, supplication. Your translation might be petition. This is a more specific word. It's a word that scholars define this way. It's an urgent request to meet a need exclusively addressed to God. This is a cry of desperation. And as you battle for peace, don't be afraid to call out to God and say, help me. And please don't be afraid to call out to other brothers and sisters in Christ too and invite them to be praying with you in this. What does this look like in life? Paul gives us an example of this in chapter 1 of this same book, Philippians. Listen as I read, starting at verse 15. Paul now, remember, he's in prison because of his proclamation of Christ. And others are beginning to proclaim Christ too. Listen to his uh, interpretation of this, how he responds to this. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. 
The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. You hear him say that twice, back to back. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Did you see Paul walking down the steps on the pathway to peace? He's rejoicing. He's being reasonable. I don't see him being anxious. I do see him asking for prayer and inviting others to pray with him. And that is the way that we are to do that. We are to make our requests known to God. That's what we're to do. But how are we to do it? There's two little words that we can tend to forget in this passage. And those two words are this, with thanksgiving. Those of you who have known this passage well, as you have memorized it over the years, and when you re recite it to yourself in the hour of need, do you remember those two words? Because we can prone to treat them with contempt and forget them. We can remember that we're supposed to call out to God in prayer, but we can forget that we're to do so with thanksgiving, especially when you're gripped by anxiety or threatened to be gripped by anxiety. We in America do tend to be entitled people. We tend to try to encourage one another by saying, you deserve this. And then there's that famous marketing scheme that says, you deserve a break today. But when something bad happens to us, we can tend to look at that and say, we just don't deserve to be treated that way. But the fact of the matter is this, the heart of one who is walking the pathway of peace is a thankful heart. And it's eager to express gratitude to the Lord, who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And if we can just remember how blessed we are in the Lord, that will cause us to rejoice and to make our requests known from a heart of gratitude, not as spoiled and entitled little brats. So those are the four steps down the pathway to peace. We rejoice. We rejoice in the Lord. We're gentle with everyone. We don't stress about anything and we persevere in prayer with thanksgiving. And if we do, we find here, according to verse 7, that we have the promise of peace. Verse 7 says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Deep down, this is what we all long for, isn't it? In the midst of the craziness of life, we just want a little peace and quiet, a little peace in our heart and a little quiet in our mind. Listen to Warren Wearsby as he talks about this very thing. He says this, From the spiritual point of view, worry is wrong thinking in the mind and wrong feeling in the heart about circumstances, people, and things. Worry is the greatest thief of joy. It's not enough for us, however, to tell ourselves to quit worrying because that will never capture the thief. Worry is an inside job, and it takes more than good intentions to get the victory. The antidote 
to worry is the secure mind. And the peace of God shall keep or garrison or guard like a soldier your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. When you have the secure mind, the peace of God guards you and the God of peace guides you. With that kind of protection, why worry? Lisa and I have seen this in our own lives too. Since the end of March, we have been in a transition period trying to close down life down in Southern California and prepare to move here into Atascadero to step on the pastoral team here at Atascadero Bible Church. And that means leaving our jobs, leaving our church, leaving our friends, leaving our family, leaving our house, and all the stresses of a long distance move. And we felt it. We felt things like that str uh, stressing us out a bit and threatening our peace. And so we prayed. We prayed together morning and night. It was overwhelming. But we rejoiced that God had made it so clear that he was bringing us up here to Atascadero. And we rejoiced and trusted that he had good things in store for us. Even in that period of time when we were working through the sale of our Fullerton home and working through the purchase of our home up here and receiving so many docu-signs into our email inboxes that it made our head spin, I literally had to figure out what, which transaction is this one for? And in the midst of all the anxiety of, Lord, are we doing the right thing? Is this what we're supposed to do? There was just an undergirding peace that came as we prayed about it. And we just rejoiced because God had made it so clear that this is what he had for us. Now you might be saying, that's how the Lord works for you, Gerald. But I sure haven't seen him work that way in my life. Well, friend, may I remind you that there's only one path to peace. And that path has been marked out and preserved by God himself through Christ. Peace only comes through faith in Christ. Listen to verse 5, 1 from Romans. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our deepest need for forgiveness has been fully addressed by Jesus and is available to us through faith in Christ. Do you know this peace with God? Do you know Jesus? If your answer is anything less than absolutely, I exhort you to lean in and trust Christ today. Only through knowing the forgiveness of your sins and by being freed from the power and the penalty of sin can you know this deep abiding peace that he has promised. When you trust Christ, you'll receive the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And according to today's passage, you'll receive the promise of having your heart and your mind protected by God's peace through faith in Christ. That's right, God promises that if we fight our battles through prayer, he will guard us like a soldier through peace. His peace will become like a personal bouncer that screens the, the circumstances and the anxieties of life and through doing that protects your mind and your heart. Now you might say, I hear you, Gerald. I have trusted Jesus as my savior. I do pray. I try really hard to be gentle with everyone, but I still find that I'm an anxious person. Anxiety just has its way with me sometimes. I don't want it to, but it's just my reality. 
let me remind you that you have a personal God who loves you very much and is tangibly present with you. Look again at verse 5. Paul says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Right smack dab in the midst of all these commands he's given us as he charges us to walk down the pathway to peace, he reminds this bedrock truth upon which each stone on the pathway to peace stands. The Lord is at hand. What does Paul mean when he says he's at hand? Well, the context of the passage would have us to believe that his return is near. Listen to chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject things to himself. So the Lord is one who has all power and all authority to be able to do whatever he wants, including transforming our lowly bodies. And he's coming from heaven. We're awaiting him. So the fact that the Lord is near means he's, his return is near. But there are also passages in the Bible that would have us to believe that he is near spatially. Psalm 34 says this, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Or Psalm 145 that said, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Jesus also made this point to his disciples in chapter 14 of John as he's explaining the coming Holy Spirit whom he will send in his name. This spirit is one who will take up residence inside the heart of every believer, everyone who trusts Jesus as Lord and Savior. And he says this, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So the Bible speaks about the nearness of the Lord in two ways. He speaks about the nearness chronologically, in terms of time, and spatially, in terms of, like, right here, with us. And I think in this passage, Paul means both. The Lord is at hand. Jesus is coming soon, and the Spirit of Christ is alive and well and living in the heart and mind of every believer. Jesus is at hand. This is why the Great Commission is bookended by the reminder that He is Lord and that He is with us always, even to the end of the age. In Matthew 28, Jesus says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I'm Lord. Therefore, go and make disciples. And then he ends it with, And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We have a God who is tangibly present with us in the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit. This person of the Holy Spirit is also known as the Spirit of Christ. And Christ is with us, even to the end of the age. So who is it that's at hand? Who is this Lord that is soon returning and yet taking up residence in our hearts? According to Scripture, Jesus is the agent of creation. He's the one who came to seek and save the lost. He's the one and only name by which we can be saved. He's the one who advocates for us in the presence of the Father. 
and he's the one who forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Let me lean in here a little bit. Let me repeat that. God's word says that if we confess our sins, he forgives our sins, and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. This is good news. This is a word that some of you need to hear this morning. This means that if you trust Christ, you are forgiven. And there are some sins that just leave us wondering, and the enemy would accuse us that we're so defiled that we can never be made clean. But the fact is, Jesus is near, and his spirit is powerful enough, and this forgiveness is true and comprehensive enough where he can cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that's good news. ABC family, the Lord is at hand. So then, let's become prayerful and spirit-led. Let's recognize that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Let's abide in him and lean into him and depend on him in prayer. Let's seek the direction of the Holy Spirit. And as we do this, we do so with the promise of God's abiding peace. And let's help others find peace in Christ too. In other words, let's make disciples. Let's tell other people about Jesus and help them to find peace. As we do this, we recognize that prayer is key. And we do have people that are, that are here and are eager to pray with you. You could call the church office, you could show up during regular business hours during the week, or you could simply just email prayer at abcchurch.org. And the leaders of this church would consider it a privilege to pray with you and walk with you down this pathway toward peace. So I encourage you to put in your prayer requests so that we have the privilege of walking together toward faith in Christ, toward Jesus, and find there that he will protect us with his peace. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for these truths. We thank you that you have a clear pathway that you are calling us and even commanding us to walk down as believers in Christ. As we do, we look like you in this world. And a beautiful benefit is that we are promised that you will guard our hearts and our minds with your peace. Lord, that's what we want. We want you, we want your peace, and we want others to know that too. So would you help us to understand it and live it so clearly that our lives are a living testimony to others of what this peace in Christ can be like. And Lord, would you be so gracious as to use us to build your church and to help others walk the pathway toward peace as well. We thank you, we praise you, and we offer you ourselves in Jesus' matchless name and for his glory. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Have a great week.